Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Mr. Cameron, to come from an overflowing of his heart from what you have to share with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys welcome him? Yeah, good morning. Good to see you all. Especially welcome uh, Dennis and Kakusager all the way from Japan. So they, they get the award for coming the lar- farthest to just to attend church. Uh, but we're great to be assembled together as we can, continue to go through the book of Philippians expository teaching, basically going verse by verse. And we're, we're about halfway through, so we're jumping into chapter 3 <clears throat> this morning. Uh, and we're going to cover chapters 3, verse 1 through 11. If you haven't heard the earlier segments, they're all available online, either on Facebook or on our YouTube channel, and you can uh, catch up. Um, also encourage you to read the book, to study the book as we go through it. Uh, we're going through about half a chapter each week, and so you can read ahead and kind of be ready. And then be prepared to discuss this as we meet in our community groups, because that's part of what we do in our small group uh, ministries as well. But uh, let's begin by reading, uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, just like for me to preach the same things over and over again. It's not tedious, uh, but it's for your uh, sake, it's for your safety. Um, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Well, he jumps into actually chapter three. We we get into some of the deeper theology that Paul touches on in this letter. So chapter three especially is more theological. He uh, goes deeper as we go through this. In the New Living Translation, a more contemporary wording of this, Paul writes, "Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things." And I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So he begins discussing a particular group of people. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he opens up with the repeat uh, uh, for the call to rejoice. All right, the book of Philippians, letter of Philippians is the epistle of joy. All throughout this letter, he continually goes back to uh, the exhortation to be joyful, to rejoice. And joy, we find out, is the outstanding characteristic of a Christ follower. If you're a Jesus follower, if you accepted Jesus as Lord, you really need to get to the place of joy. You need to know how to find joy. Or return to joy. And the word translated joy is actually the same root word that is translated grace. All right, charis. <laughs> and so in English, the, the, the word for grace and the word for joy, there's no connection. All right? But in, in the Greek language, it was just a different form. It's like joy and joyfulness, or rejoice. We see how the word joy is in all of those. Joyful, right? Well, in Greek, grace and joy are 
different forms of the same word. And so it's not a stretch to say the famous verse in Ephesians that we've been saved by grace. That can actually be translated, you've been saved by joy. There's a direct connection between grace and joy. It was God's joy to show, uh, bring salvation to us. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And it avails us of that joy. In other words, it makes it available to you, the joy of God. And so the first thing throughout the letter, and remember Paul's circumstances, setting in a Roman prison, writing this letter to the church, uh, undergoing severe persecution. Nevertheless, in all circumstances, he was joyful. But now we're called to rejoice in the face of false teaching and heresy and those who attempt to corrupt the message of the gospel. Uh, these were a group of people commonly called the Judaizers. And what they were, <coughs> were in the early church, so this is, you know, this is probably written around uh, at, at the most 50 to 70 AD, uh, after, you know, just 20 to 30 years, 50 years at most after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And so this is the early church, and uh, it had been uh, spreading. Philippi was a Roman colony, and so it was a, more, a mostly Gentile city. But there were Christ, Jewish Christians or Jewish teachers that were going to the Christian churches and teaching these new Christians that they needed to follow all of the dictates of the law. They needed to basically become Old Testament proselytes. All the way through the Old Testament, Gentiles could be joined to the people of God uh, by going through all the rituals and ceremonies. And they were saying, well, you're Gentiles, you need to do this. And Paul was making a very strong point uh, that this is not required. And so he's addressing this. <clears throat> Beware of dogs. That's a common sign in our day. But guess what? It was a common sign in Rome. This is actually a photograph of a Roman uh, beware of dog sign. Uh, yeah, and uh, they're all over the place in Roman cities. They're actually made from, uh, what do they call those when you take little pieces of mosaics? I always forget that. <laughs> and so, you know, they're, ah! And so that term Paul uses knowingly, and uh, it, it, it calls to mind the same image that we have today. Beware of dogs. You know, and you uh, put it up to warn people that there's a vicious uh, animal here protecting the property, and, and Paul's saying these teachers are like, you know, dogs. And dogs, uh, both for Jews and Gentiles, were considered uh, unclean or, and, and, and uh, filthy. And so to call someone a dog means just what it does today. <laughs> it was a very harsh thing. I mean, it's as close to Paul using uh, foul language as you can imagine, but it was serious. These teachers of false doctrine are actually dogs, and beware of them. And he goes on and says, they're evil workers, and that word there is deceitful. That means they just were uh, wrong. It's, just not, it's not that they had bad theology, a little bit wrong here and there. We all have some bad theology. Nobody's perfect in our theology. But these were deceitful. And so their intentions, as well as their teaching, 
were wrong. They were doing this on purpose to undermine what was the true gospel that Paul was presenting, what we find throughout the New Testament. And then he uses a very strong word, the mutilation, referring to the Old Testament <clears throat> rite of circumcision, but he uses a different word intentionally. And that word is actually referencing an Old Testament law that forbid, that was actually a sin to cut the flesh. Okay, and so there was a religious... Uh, pagan religious um, rites would would cut their flesh and make cuttings on their bodies. And we still have this in pagan religions today where they scar themselves as an act of trying to make right with God. And Paul actually uh, says that what they're teaching is a violation of the law. They're not teaching what circumcision was. They're teaching that we need to do this religious rite that has no more power than those pagan traditions that were outlawed. So that's, that's a, like a slap in the face theologically, all right? And a strong, a, you can't get a more strong rebuke. And then he goes on and says, for we are the circumcision, we being Christ's followers, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And I just want to, help you and encourage you to understand this for for what I believe God uh, put it in scripture and for the reason that Paul was elaborating on this is that circumcision is a, a key for us to understanding the Old Testament traditions and rites. How many people get a little confused when you're reading through all the Old Testament laws you know, and it's just like they go on and on and on about all the things that you have to do perpetually in order to be the people of God. Okay? And so you go, yeah, it's just, it comes up, people write questions all the time, I see them, oh, what does this mean? How do, how do we do this? Does this mean we still have to do this? And we need to understand it. And, and circumcision, because it was one of the most important of the Old Testament requirements, this gives us a key to understanding all of the other uh, requirements. <clears throat> in fact, Paul, and the, and the New Testament is very clear, it's repeated throughout the New Testament in many places, that this Old Testament uh, sacred requirement not only wasn't required, but it was considered wrong. He says it's, it's a mutilation. It's, it's equivalent to a paganism. And so a very, very strong uh, 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 difference than what the Judaizers were teaching the churches that they had to do this. Paul's saying, no. And if that's true of, of circumcision, how much more so is it true of the other traditions and ceremonial laws in the Old Testament? There's a basic lesson of, of theology that I don't have time to, I mean, it's a whole uh, class, but understanding the difference between the moral law that's clearly uh, taught in the Old Testament and the ceremonial and ritual laws that are taught in the Old Testament. The moral laws all stay the same. In fact, Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount actually says that the moral laws have a higher standing in the New Covenant. Uh, you know, Old, Old Testament, if you 
if you committed adultery, it was sin. But in the New Testament, if you just look at someone and lust for them, you commit adultery in your heart, right? And so all the way through the New Testament, the moral requirements of a Christ follower is um, <clears throat> you know, exponentially higher than that of the requirement of the Old Testament. But the ceremonial and, and um, uh, uh, ritual laws uh, had a different purpose. Uh, all of those were shadows or types uh, uh, and, and are now meaningless, even destructive, apart from their fulfillment in Christ. In other words, all of those things symbolized, pointed to the fulfillment that would come through the person Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in his life. And we now have to discern, and it's pretty much spelled out throughout the New Testament how to do this, uh, uh, how to apply those Old Testament uh, ritual laws to a life of Christ. They all still apply, but you apply them differently. Okay? Um, uh, in Christ, uh, we are not uh, 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 required to avoid all shellfish, right? We can eat seafood, right? There's many seafood or pork, bacon. Aren't you glad we're New Covenant believers? We can have bacon. There's a farmer in Vandalia, a member of our church down there, uh, and he's a great guy. His name is Andy. And, and he does a lot of farming. But just one of his farming businesses is raising pigs. And he raises and sells 70,000 pigs every year. 70,000! I'm like, wow. How many is that a day? Somebody do the math. I think it's like 300 a day or something like that. He's just pumping out pigs. <laughs> All right, and he gave me one, uh, half of one, <laughs> a few years ago. It was really good. It was really good bacon. It was the best bacon I've ever had. 191 a day, and he says, "Yeah, but I'm not one of the big farmers." All right, so praise God, we can eat pig. Right. Because in the new covenant, we're not bound by that dietary law. Because in Christ, all things have been made clean. All right, and that was really clearly communicated in another place in Scripture to Peter, and that uh, it, that anything is clean because Christ came to redeem the whole of creation, and so there's not unclean foods and clean foods, and the whole idea of of ritual separation was to communicate that the Jews were to live on a different standard. Well, we're called to live on a different standard that is a much higher difference than just what we eat. Okay, so in Christ, yes, we are to behave differently, but not when it comes to dietary fulfillment. Here it goes on. So we're going to take a, just a peek real quickly at how circumcision uh, is, is viewed differently in the New Testament. In Galatians, Paul writing to uh, the church in Galatia about the same idea, says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. In other words, <clears throat> Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. Spiritually, on any level whatsoever, if someone is circumcised or uncircumcised. All right? There is no spiritual importance to it any longer. Now, keep in mind, 
in the old covenant. If you weren't circumcised, you were not part of the people of God, and you were not going to spend eternity in heaven. It was, it was clear. And so this is a radical change, but see how it substitutes. It says, but faith, faith takes the place. The, the outward act, the outward sign is replaced by something inward, which is faith working, actually doing stuff through love. Faith through love. Faith doing works through love is what replaces the Old Testament powerless symbols. Okay, uh, The Old Testament uh, symbols actually were meaningless, even destructive, now in the New Covenant, uh, apart from the fulfillment in Christ. It's just as if we were to take an ox or a lamb and slaughter it and sacrifice it as though we were offering up a prayer. Would you do that? No. All right, and so those Old Testament symbols. And you might think, well, why is he going on and on about this? Well, listen, I've known Christians that actually get caught up in religious traditions that are based on Jewish culture to the point where they leave churches and start their own little churches. I actually went to, a, there was a rabbi, a Christian, a, 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 a Jewish rabbi that converted to Christianity. Okay, And um, we got connected through a mutual friends, and he was in the States, and I, I went and met him, spent a day with him, and went with him because he was speaking to a Messianic Jewish congregation, which, you know, is not bad in and of itself, um, up in Grand Rapids. <clears throat> and so I was kind of curious because I went up there, and, and this was a full-on, like, they reenacted basically a traditional Jewish Sabbath ceremony to the point where they had a... Um, <clears throat> They had an old scroll that they would carry it out before the teaching, and they sang this particular song. And I was sitting right next to this Jewish rabbi that had been converted to Christianity that lives in Israel, even to this day, passes his church there, and he was aghast. He was like, he could not believe what they were doing. And he looked at me and he said, this is heresy. And he got up and he preached it, but they didn't hear it. Seriously, like he was telling, telling how Jesus has replaced all of this. This is all meaningless, you know, and, and uh, it was pretty clear to me, but all they saw was, here's this Jew, you know. And it's a, it, it's, I've seen people get caught up. It's one thing to go, oh, you know, shofars are cool. Blowing a shofar does not bring the Holy Spirit. All right. Singing with faith in your heart and works of love bring the Holy Spirit. Okay? What a shofar, great. I prefer a trumpet. <laughs> you know? It's not like they're wrong. It's okay to do that, especially if it helps you. Some people like praying on a head with a prayer shawl. That's great, but it doesn't have any significance spiritually. God doesn't care. Are you hearing me? So keep that in perspective, because in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any purpose, and that means all of the other lesser uh, 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 ceremonial things. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, there is something accomplished 
when you come to faith, and there's a whole teaching on how baptism is now the fulfillment. When we're baptized, it's the putting away of the flesh, and that was what circumcision pointed to. And you can read about that in the book of Romans. Uh, by the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And so Jesus comes and does a much more significant and powerful work when we come to him in faith. Uh, So all of those things were fulfilled in Christ. And when we live in Christ, when our life is in Christ, we are walking in the fulfillment of all those Old Testament ceremonial laws. So when it says these are things are to be continued perpetually, it doesn't mean practice uh, as they were done in the Old Testament. That means living in Christ. You fulfill all of the law when you live in Him. Are you hearing me? In Him is the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in Him. He is our all in all. So how do you fulfill the perpetual commands of God? You live in Christ because in Him is our righteousness. All the righteousness, righteous requirements of law are accomplished in Christ. All right, so we, we, we fulfill that when we live in a, a life that's dictated by Him, when we live in submission to Him as Lord, and we uh, act and behave and think in alignment to the nature and character and the spirit of Christ. In Christ, we don't cut off a tiny little part of our flesh, (laughs) which is what circumcision was. We, We put off the whole body of the flesh, right? That's the difference. Just like Jesus said, you know, don't commit adultery and Christianity, we can't even... Have a, a lust in our hearts, a higher recommend, a requirement. Uh, uh, a circumcision was a, the cutting off symbolically of a small part of the flesh, but in, in, in following Christ, we have to put to death our body, all of our passion, all of our desires, all of our fleshly nature, the whole thing. <clears throat> all right, I already talked about that. <laughs> and there's three characteristics that uh, contrast Christ followers with these false teachers and three characteristics that describe those who are fulfilling the spiritual circumcision. One is they worship God in the spirit. All right, how many love to worship God? All right, inward, genuine spiritual worship is contrasted with the false religious requirements that these Judaizers, these dogs, these heretics, we're trying to convince. They were trying to suck them back into just a religiosity. But Paul says, no, it's genuine inward worship. God is spirit, as John writes in John 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so in order to connect with God, we have to learn how to connect with him spiritually. And of course, we love worship songs, and you know, in our culture... We get to the place of worship when people are playing instruments and, and, and singing songs that have, maybe we're familiar with them. Uh, but it's all that is just a tool to get us into the place where we're communing with God and Holy Spirit on a spiritual level. All right, where we're declaring the character of God and we're celebrating, we're worshiping, we're, you know, worship is, is based on the word worth. We're declaring that God is worthy of all of our admiration 
And so that's how we fulfill what the Old Testament symbol of circumcision pointed to. The second thing is that we rejoice. Again, we have this word rejoice, rejoice, joy, joy, <clears throat> rejoice in Christ Jesus. This form of the word is, uh, can be translated boasting. We boast in Jesus. We're, we make a big deal about Jesus Christ. Right? He is Lord. We, he gets all of the credit. Because um, uh, we recognize that apart from him, we are nothing. And so we worship in spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. We boast about him. Our goal in life should be to make Jesus famous. We don't talk about ourselves. We talk about Jesus. Even the things that we have in our life, we try to use them uh, as ways to point people to Christ. And the third thing is that we have no confidence in the flesh. The commentator Barnes wrote this many, uh, actually a couple hundred years ago, said every advantage which any may have of birth, in other words, if you're born of noble, you know, nobility, or you're born into a wealthy family, <clears throat> or external conformity to the law, you're, you're really good at not doing things that the Bible says not to do and doing the things the Bible says to do, that's great, but you know what? We have no confidence in it. <clears throat> and to everything which unaided human nature can do, on none of these things can we put reliance for salvation. None of them will constitute a ground of hope. And so <clears throat> in our lives, you know, we find things that we can rest on. Physically, right? Whenever I'm somewhere, I find a nice part of the wall I can lean up against, chair to set in. We find things to put uh, uh, emotional rest in, relationships uh, or uh, behaviors, things that we do that, that, that uphold us. But in the spiritual realm, there's nothing that you can have any confidence or any hope in other than Jesus Christ. All right? All of your good works, all of your reputation, none of that will stand up but Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what he's saying here. Though, continuing on, verse 4, I might have confidence in the flesh. This is Paul uh, talking about himself. <clears throat> if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. The importance of circumcised the eighth day is that he wasn't a convert to Judaism being circumcised later in life. He was born into a Jewish family uh, adhering to the most strictest form of that ritual. <clears throat> of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's coming from pure Hebrew stock, 100% descendant of Abraham. Concerning the law of Pharisee, they were considered the most strict adherents to Old Testament law. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. In his early life, he would hunt down Christians and imprison them for being Christians. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
That means he never knowingly violated any Old Testament law in any way. And he could say that, and he's not lying. He's like, this is the way I lived. And he was with a group of people that lived that way, the Pharisees. He's listing all of his fleshly qualifications that were far more advanced than these false teachers. He's like, if you want to compare what I'm, me and these guys, bring it on. He can outdo them. <clears throat> By Old Testament standards, Paul would excel. Uh, but these things have no value in obtaining righteousness. Okay, I just want to ask this question. Because again, this is kind of like, well, what does this mean to you and I? What would be a comparable list in our day of accomplishments that we might put our hope in? That we might think makes us either acceptable to God or standouts in the community? Hmm? Doing a good job? Having a good, successful career, having money in the bank, driving a nice car. What else? What's that? Being educated. I have a few friends that have PhDs. <clears throat> they paid a lot of money. Ooh, wow, look at that. The light just went out. <laughs> Education, like a light burned out, literally. <laughs> uh, what else? How about how many friends you have on Facebook? Popularity. Yeah, how many followers you have on TikTok? I don't even know what TikTok is. I, it's a, like, what is that? I can't keep up with all the new things. I'm just figuring out Instagram. I didn't know you could message in Instagram. Like, I thought it was, it was about pictures. <laughs> huh? Ah, oh, I thought you said tie-dyeing. <laughs> She's like, tithing. You know, some people are like, I actually know this, this uh, family was part of our, uh, one of our other churches that I helped lead. And they were, they were like serious givers. Significant. They were, they had a lot of money and they had very specific beliefs about uh, giving, and they actually used that to try to take control of the church. And the pastor didn't give in to them, and they left the church with their massive tithing. And I'm like, wow. They took something good and made it bad. And so what we want to do is ask ourselves, what, what are the things that we list as, hey, th- I got this going on, I got that going on, but God looks at that and says, that ain't nothing. That doesn't count in what really is important. What 21st century religious accomplishments do we think matter that don't? And, you know, it does matter that you read your Bible. It does matter that you tithe. It does matter that you are serving in church. It does. These things matter. But what matters is they all flow from a relationship of faith working through love rejoicing in Christ Jesus and having no confidence in the flesh. All right? Big difference. Continuing on, verse 7, it says, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's one of the key verses in the whole book of Philippians that Paul is expressing what really matters to him and that those things in the past don't matter at all. Everything that was formerly gain or profitable or positive or credible is actually now a loss. Okay? All of his religious accomplishments, as well as anything worldly. He was actually born, most scholars believe that Paul was born to a very wealthy, successful uh, business family, had uh, one of the highest levels of education in his day. Uh, and all of that, he's saying, was, was useless. All of the material stuff, all of the, you know, whether it be tangible or intangible, you know, tangible is the money he had, intangible would be like his education. All of those things were not only rubbish, but he uses the term uh, dung, excrement. It was a bunch of, fill in the blank. No, what, this used to, it was no more valuable than manure. All right, flush it down and get rid of it. All right, yet these teachers are actually trying to, Convert the, uh, convince the Christians, no, you got to go back to that. Paul's saying, man, it's dung. It's trash. It stinks, right? It, it, it attracts, you know, insects. It causes infection if not flushed and gotten rid of. In, the, in ancient days, more people would die from sickness due to poor sanitation than to wars. Right, because they didn't, they hadn't figured out good plumbing. Seriously, and in many parts of the world today, that's still a problem. And so Paul's comparing that to a spiritual truth that all of those accomplishments need to be flushed down the drain, and he contrasts them with the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus. And he had lost all and considered it rubbish in order to gain Christ. Okay. There's a transaction here. I'm giving up all of that in order to gain, to get an understanding of Jesus Christ and be found in him. And he could say that because it literally happened. He's using his life as an illustration for this theology. He had lost everything. He's sitting in a prison cell. But he said it was worth it. Now, he didn't say that because he was sitting in a prison cell that he learned it was worth it, and so, you know, by sitting in a prison cell. It's actually, in truth, um, <clears throat> he was in a prison cell because years ago he came to this revelation, and he was willing to give up everything for the message of the gospel, and it ended up having the result of being put in prison. Are you hearing me? When he was still wealthy, when he still had uh, fame, when he still had credentials, he came to Christ and said he rejected all that and he lived in a way that made Jesus the most important and the result in his life was persecution and the loss of all things, literally. The root of this is that we need to come to the place where likewise we regard everything in our life as meaningless compared to gaining Christ and knowing him. What have we given up? 
What do we now consider as useless rubbish in order to get a little closer to Jesus? And let me tell you, there's something in your life. There's stuff in my life. When it comes down to it, I choose that instead of Jesus. And it's in that moment of choice when we need to remember this truth. We can settle for the temporary pleasure, but ultimately it will keep us distanced from Christ. Or we can resist that temptation in order to gain something more valuable, more worthy, more eternal. Don't wait to be arrested and thrown into prison to learn this lesson, all right? It's a call right now, seriously. It's a call now to sever all of our connections with things worldly in order to gain. Make knowing Christ the highest priority in your life. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith, Paul goes on. Righteousness is being free from sin. We all understand that. But more importantly, it's being in right standing. Okay, It's being in right relationship. It's being right with God. And so when you, you, you see the word righteousness throughout the, new, the, the, the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, don't just think of be, you know, not committing sin. It's much, that's the negative aspect of it. The positive aspect of it, which is much more valuable, is being right with God, in right relationship with God. That's what righteousness is all about, and we access that through faith, working in love, and having no confidence in the flesh. Righteousness based uh, on one's own ability, even adherence to God's law, just isn't enough. That's that, count, that's that counterfeit righteousness that the Judaizers were trying to peddle. The only acceptable righteousness is through faith. And this is not just a New Testament teaching. This was actually all through the Old Testament. But, you, you know, it wasn't as clearly revealed as it is in the New. So in Isaiah, it's, the, the primary prophet of the Old Testament, he says, all, we, all, uh, we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness or righteous deeds are like filthy rags. All right, so the most righteous thing, a righteous prophet in the Old Testament, he's saying all those righteous things you do, they're filthy rags. That's how, that's how much value they are. He had the right perspective. And that's in the Old Testament. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Or even going back further, Genesis and God's interaction with Abraham, who founded the Hebrew nation. Uh, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. So it was actually belief, the faith in God's word that made Abraham righteous. And, and, and this is expanded in the book of Romans chapter 4. The scripture tells us, referring to that verse that we just read, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Right? So keeping the law never saved anyone. Even in the Old Testament, it pointed toward the fulfillment. All those sacrifices looked forward to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And now as we live, 
we look backward remembering, as we celebrate communion exodus, remembering what he accomplished on the cross. Our faith now is what Jesus has done. Their faith was, was in what the Messiah would do. And we do it by faith. Old Testament, New Testament, that hasn't changed. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So you and I, how do we become right with God? We come back to the place where we believe his word. Uh, Earlier we read of uh, Jesus' example and then Timothy's example and then Epaphroditus' example. This part of the Philippians is talking about Paul's example, but he goes into greater depth and he brings in the theological implications to greater uh, length. And so he's actually explaining the theology of salvation through the illustration of his own life. All right? Paul says this in Romans chapter 3 to the church in Rome. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Wow. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So when you read the requirements of Scripture and you go, wow, I'm really missing it, that's good. You're understanding what God wants you to. Okay? But then, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of law. As promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. The gospel is the great equalizer of all mankind. It all comes down to, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what your social status, no matter what your economic status, no matter what language you speak or how much uh, you're educated or uneducated, it comes down to one thing. If you believe Jesus died for your sins and you put your confidence only in Him, you confess Him as Lord of your life and you submit yourself to live as His follower. Because everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ, and he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus conquered the fullness of the law on that cross. And when we're in Christ through faith, we fulfill the law. Now quickly, this doesn't mean that we don't, that we give in to sin. Paul goes on, this is the last a couple verses of this section. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Okay, righteousness through faith doesn't in any way create a freedom to sin. Far from it, all right? It actually frees us from uh, sin and the power of sin. As we get to know Jesus, as we live in him, and the power of his resurrection. What did Jesus demonstrate when he rose from the dead? He demonstrated victory over sin, sickness, and death itself. Right? And so if we're living in Christ, it means that we're living 
uh, in the power of Jesus' resurrection over all things that the enemy has to offer. Uh, <clears throat> John says, if people keep living in sin, keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Ah! Pretty straightforward. Faith working through love. Right? So it's our choice whether we keep uh, 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 giving into sin and becoming a children of the devil. Somebody want that? Nobody? Or we accept the resurrection power that Jesus uh, avails us of uh, through faith. Paul recognized that the fellowship of his suffering, in other words, the suffering that Paul endured, the suffering that we endure, both when we refuse to give in to temptation and sin, but also when we experience uh, opposition because of our life in Christ, those are opportunities to get to know Jesus better. Right? And in knowing him better, we come into the place where we can live righteous. We can live in right standing with God, whether we're suffering or whether we're abounding in the comforts and the pleasures God has uh, afforded us. In all things, we must keep centered on the main thing, keep the main thing the main thing, that we, we put no confidence in the flesh, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, uh, and uh, we live by faith working through love. All right? Uh, that wraps up uh, this section. Uh, Kathy's going to come and close the service. Thank you very much. Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org.